What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Mike O'Shea, the head coach of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Who's got the better facial hair? You or Kyle Walters? Does Kyle have any? <laughs> <laughs> that stash is really high level that he's got. <laughs> yeah. He does that, I think, around the November deal and keeps it through, I guess. So is it something that you probably get this stupid question all the time, but that you got on a roll and now you guys have won the Great Cup, that are you going to have a beard forever? Uh, the beard has nothing to do with football. It's okay. This is a beard, you know, that's really all it is. Just a man's beard? Well, my dad had one and kind of looked like this when he was younger and I don't know, start growing it. Does it keep you warm in the winter there in the Absolutely. Bank? In the bank, yeah, absolutely. I don't have to wear a balaclava. Oh, that works well. Just a tube, and this works. So on the sideline, can you go shorts in the winter because you got the beard? I don't ever go shorts in the winter. No? No. I, I, like, I like to be comfortable. <laughs> I even turn my uh, seat heater on in the car. I do that, too. So Really? Yeah, yeah. I'm not I wouldn't have guessed that. Oh, she has a seat heater. Yeah, I'm not <laughs> There's a little more gray in that beer than I would have thought. Football's a tough game. <laughs> you would know that well. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, things that happen that uh, age you. Yeah, absolutely. And sort of on that note, if we can, go back to trade deadline. You guys get Zach Caleros. How close was that to maybe not happening? Because it seemed like it came in just under the... Yeah, that's a great question, probably for Kyle more than me. I mean, it, I, I guess it went right down to the wire, um, literally a, a minute or so before. So, um, yeah, and obviously it's, a, it's it all worked out well. Was Caleros a guy that you kind of sat and met as a staff and decided that you wanted? Because you had a bit of a relationship with him from Toronto days. Yeah, we've been on the same team uh, before, um, so obviously. You know, you spend a season or so with a guy, two seasons, you know their work ethic, you know their leadership capabilities. Um, and then you look at his body of work when he left Toronto. He was exceptional. I think the, the number one, um, you know, the number one criterion we had was making sure we had a guy with veteran experience. 
get that going for sure. It almost seemed like, I mean, why I want to ask you the question is that when he was in and finally was playing, that the team played at like a little more tougher, if I can say it, and that might be the wrong way to put it, but I'm curious what your thought was. Yeah, I think tougher would be the wrong adjective. I think our team plays pretty damn tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's one of the things they, I, I think our players would pride themselves on is playing, being, being a tough out for sure, playing tough on the field. Um, and maybe I should take that back and say, like, with a, it just seemed like a different edge or something on offense or a en- different energy. or. Uh, I, I think those things are hard to pinpoint. You know? um, and, and you're so, you know, sometimes you're so into the game, you know, um, to really label what that pulse is, um, it's hard to do. Yeah, he. I mean, he's a veteran quarterback that's uh, accomplished a, a lot and, and led teams quite well and been successful. So, I think he brought his experiences to our team, which was a different. Uh, anytime you inject um, something good, positive, and also different. Um, at a different point in the season, not in training camp, you know, there's going to be a reaction to it. Mm. Overall, what was Grey Cup like for you? And I say that because everyone felt like Hamilton was sort of a decided favorite and they had this record 15-3 and coming out of the East. And Adam Big Hill talked about how word got around the Tigers were practicing victory formation on day one of their practice. So, was that a talk amongst the team, or what was Great Cup really? like for you? Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't anything that I talked about. Um, if the players were talking about it, then you know, that's how you know these stories evolve. I'm sure. Um, but I didn't hear those types of conversations. I tend to stay out of those types of conversations. Um, great cup week for a head coach is very busy. Um, you've really got to manage your time well and, and uh, have the people around you help you manage your time and understand, have people around you understand that you're there to win a football game. And so at some point, you know, you really have to carve out the time to spend on football. And uh, that is challenging as a head coach for sure. It seemed like there was a little tiny bit of time you maybe spent on the famous sex question answer. Was that all you? Was that on the spot? It's the elevator. Uh, you know, it's in the elevator coming down to me. Lobby, <laughs> knowing that we're going to get this question and knowing that they expect an answer. So I imagine that question will fall. By the wayside, probably in short order, just given the way society has changed, you know, mm-hmm. answers become increasingly more dangerous to people's careers. Yeah, you answered it pretty much spot on, and probably one of the most memorable ones in recent years. Sort of think that off the top of your head, you're just coming down the elevator, going into your first Grey Cup coaches press conference. Probably give yourself a pat on the back for that. Wow. Well, <laughs> I, th- I think that question might drop off eventually, so we'll see. Well, you provided us with it with an answer to last for a long time, just as your championship and, and the Grey Cup will. What was that feeling with you? Because I know how close you like to be with your players 
to be on the field after the game and in the locker room and celebrating that moment with them? Um, well, on the field after, just standing back and, and watching them with my family was uh, obviously a great experience. I think, you know, I'm at that, at that point or been around long enough where standing back and observing other people's reactions are, are very important and they, they, they can fuel you. Um, you know, for the for seasons to come, for sure. Um, the locker room, unfortunately, as a head coach, you miss a lot of that stuff because you're off doing media and you get shuffled around to various uh, commitments you have, which are, you know, it's part of your duty, and I, there's no problem with that. It's just you do end up missing the initial celebration of the locker room. But, um, I come in and I find our guys wearing goggles, which was very disappointing. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we had a strict no-goggle policy, and, and I come in and guys have goggles on. And then they, you know, I wasn't there to see it, but they happened to correct me and say that they didn't actually put the goggles on, they just had them on their hats. They didn't actually <laughs> affix them in front of their eyes for the, for the celebration. So I was pretty proud of our guys there, but I was a little dismayed when I first walked in. What was the thought process there, no-goggle policy? Uh, it's just part of how we roll. Okay. I wondered if it was something like that because you could see there were some videos that popped up online that said you're calling guys, hey, don't put those goggles on. Yeah. But like you said, they were around their heads. Yeah. <laughs> they, weren't, they weren't wearing them. They, they swore. Yeah. <laughs> Not that you saw, at least. Yeah. What was that like for you as a head coach to reach that end goal with that group of players? A lot of them you've been with for quite a while. Um. Terrific. I mean, there's. I, I've said uh, once before. I think there are some guys that that helped us accomplish our goal that weren't with us anymore. Um, but to think that we um, finished with the Grey Cup in 2019. To think that 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 started uh, in training camp 2019. I think would be a, a fallacy, right? I think this started a few years before that or years before that and I think over the course of time uh, some of the guys that are instrumental in a victory like this um, or in the progress of a team you know just aren't on the team anymore and it's unfortunate but uh, yeah there's uh, just witnessing the development of the team over the course of the season and have it culminate in a, in a championship was is phenomenal in, in whatever sport, you know, in, in whatever league. It's uh, something that a head coach, uh, I mean, that's your goal, but it's something that you, until you reach it, just, it's hard to really um, think about what it will be like. Was it more rewarding as a player to hoist a great cup or as a head coach? I think it's still better as a player. <laughs> you know, being out there on the field and um, being sore after a game and contributing, laying your body on the line for your teammates, I think it's, that's pretty hard to replace. So how's that different for you, playing to coaching and the two differences in winning the cup as a player to that coach? are unique and I'll, I'll hold each one, each cup dear, even the ones I played on, each one is different and will be 
thought of differently. Um, I mean, I think it's just, uh, you know, when I, when I end up becoming a head coach, that's the goal. So we've finally taken that step and reached that goal once in six years, right? So um, I knew we would get here. I didn't think it would take this long. And um, we've enjoyed it. And now it's back to work to try and win a great cup in 2020. Uh, that's what we signed up for. Mm. Through the whole year, was it your plan or did you ever think about that at the end of that season, that's when your contract was up? Uh, I don't think about my contract at all during the year. I really don't. Um, I knew going in, you know, you just, oh yeah, this is my last year, my contract. But you don't think much more about it than that. Uh, I just, you know, I believe things are going to work out the way they're supposed to work out. And I'm going to bring the next, whatever situation I'm going to be in next, it's going to be based on the merits of the situations and how I handled them previously, right? Or what's coming up in the future. I, I don't really spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, I think it's way more important to focus on the job you're doing than worry about some other things that in some aspects might be under control. I think most of it, most of uh, getting a contract extension or getting another contract or getting a different job is, is, is within your control and it's based on how hard you're working at your current position, not on how hard you look for your next position. Mm -hmm. Is it fair to say that you kind of approach it as like a year-to-year -year deal anyway? I do. Um, you know, at the end of a losing season in my first couple of years, I didn't sit back and go, oh, thank goodness I've got a year in my contract. I was, you know, terribly disappointed and pissed off at myself that we couldn't get, be better than we were. You know, so same thing when you win. I'm not sitting back going, oh yeah, now I get to negotiate a contract. It's playbook proof. I don't think that way. All right, let's get going on the next one, right? So it's more matter of fact than it is uh, anything planned out and calendar-wise, it just worked out the way it did. And what's that like for you, by the sounds of it, you negotiated your own deal with the Bombers, because you hear so much about you know agents and representation and all that stuff now. So do you just feel more comfortable doing it that way? Well, I feel comfortable with the, with the guys I'm negotiating with. You know, we all understand at certain points in time there's a business, but we all understand um, what we set out to accomplish and what we have accomplished so far, what's, what's left to be done. Um, so I, I don't... If, if you, in anything, if you agree to something and you're happy with the agreement, then honor the agreement. Right? I mean, live to the agreement. Right? You don't you don't need to look back and, and wish and hope and know why I should have or why didn't I. 
whatever. Just if, you, if you're happy, don't mess with that. In terms of agreements, free agency's coming up. Zach Claros was there, won the Great Cup, and helped you guys do that. Would he be a guy that you would want back? I want all our quarterbacks back. I want all our guys back. Except the guys that got NFL deals, they should go and make good with their opportunity. Right? In a weird way, we hope we don't see them again. Right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I, I think it's been documented. I, when we get our guys in house, I like our guys. And I like our guys to be back. All of them. Is that possible to happen at, let's say, the quarterback position? Yeah, we'll see. We've got to get our offensive get our coaching staff uh, finalized and then I think have discussions and make good decisions and go through uh, a process of figuring out how we're going to get this done this year. And what's that been like for you? Because Paul Apolis goes to be the head coach in Ottawa, which I'm sure you're happy about. Very to happy for him, yeah. To see him get that opportunity. And a lot of people would look at Buck Pierce as the next guy to potentially slide in as an offensive coordinator. Do you view it that way? I think there's opportunities um, from within, and there's obviously guys available outside too. Right? Once again, we haven't uh, we haven't finalized our staff, but I've been with Buck for a long time. And he's, a, he's a good football coach. So what's uh, sort of the order of priority here? Would it be coaching staff, and then kind of look at free agency. Staff, free agency in there, sprinkle in there, do draft work. Um, I mean, it's it's ramping up right away. You know, Mid-May is right around the corner. And, man, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about Sun playing at the University of Guelph. Your seasons are happening at the same time. So what you've seen of him, how's he doing that? Um, I think he's right where he needs to be. You know, I think he's showing a lot of personal growth this past season um, and uh, I think he's matured right on you know the schedule the timeline that he needs to mature at so I'm pretty proud of him I'm pretty proud of where he's at in terms of his understanding of how teams work and what he needs to do and how he needs to get it done. So I think, uh, yeah, I'm proud of him for that. And it's pretty unique that the Bombers have Michael Shea, who's a Guelph, Kyle Walters, who was a Guelph, and then obviously Wayne Miller, the president, who's a Canadian as he well. Wishes he, was a Guelph. <laughs> <laughs> wishes he was a Griffin. He wishes he was a Griffin. Yeah. <laughs> and you guys have been referred to, you know, sort of affectionately by other people as the Canadian Mafia with maybe some other language in there. Do you get a lot of pride in that? In the moniker? No. I mean, Being all Canadian, I should say. Uh, I, I am a tremendously proud Canadian. So, in whatever aspect of my life, that won't ever change. So, work, out of work, you know, I'm a proud Canadian. So, I, I don't know that there's any extra pride garnered by uh, being. You know, a group of three Canadians uh, helping uh, run a CFL team um, because 
I think the Hubble ride doesn't change wherever I'm at. What was it like for you to celebrate with a number of other Canadians and more specifically Manitobans during that Great Cup parade? passion and emotion that you could really expect, that you could fathom really, uh, yeah. and it's still going on. The parade stopped, but the emotion still there, still pretty raw around the city, I think. Was the reaction to the cup win bigger than you could have ever envisioned, if you do think about that stuff? I, you know, I don't try to... Wouldn't have tried to think about it prior to that, right? I just wouldn't want to let it happen how it's going to happen. I wouldn't want to <clears throat> limit it by putting my own spin on what it's going to be, <laughs> you know. Um, I just wanted to sit back and, and take it all in. Do you think Chris Traveler has a shirt on right now? Uh, what time of day is it? <laughs> you know, that's, that's it. <laughs> That gets brought up a lot, and and I think what people miss are the seven months in our building where Chris Trevler's in at five in the morning, and a lot of times he's there at six thirty at night. So that uh, spontaneous, authentic, uh, you know, celebrations after the Great Cup are really a culmination of seven months of grinding which can wear the average man down and he is far from average so um, and his celebration sort of marked that also but everybody loves the guy as a teammate and as a as a bomber and as a person so um, I think it worked out just the way it was supposed to work. And you could tell that just by the way that people sort of rallied around him, right? And I don't think it was to say that he doesn't work, but just that he's you said that. Yeah, he's very much so. He's authentic. And that's a, <laughs> he put so much energy in. Um, you know, these guys put everything they have, everything they have, into achieving that, winning the Great Cup season so whatever they got left <laughs> to mm -hmm. give as a celebration and they're just going on adrenaline at that point yeah. and you mentioned Chris Trevler and his toughness and playing through stuff it almost seemed like it was superhuman the fact that he could even step out on the field let alone what he was able to do was there ever a point as you're going through that playoff run that you thought I don't know how he's doing this uh, no, I, I think it's pretty easy, easy to say for the guys that are around him, but you just knew he was going to was. I don't think there was a point where guys were saying, I don't know how he's doing it. I think they just go, yeah, he's, he's going to get it done. He's going to figure out a way. It's going to be for the right reasons. So that's, uh, that's, he's pretty driven. He's starting to get some NFL looks now. He can only visit because he's kind of dealing with some of those physical ailments. But do you see him as a guy that could make an impact down there? Uh, I would hope so. I mean, I'm not in their personnel meetings or you know, look at their systems and see what guys need or don't need. But I think he 
anytime, anytime you got an opportunity to add a, a leader who was a good athlete, obviously, and puts up great numbers, all those measurables that you can, that you can figure out pretty easily. Um, but anytime you can add a, a guy of his character who, if you just turn on the film, you can see that he's absolutely willing to lay his career on the line for teammates, then why wouldn't you want that on your team? I think every team needs that. So, I truly believe that he will get his shot done. And I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about Andrew Harris. And we'll get to if the Cubs in one piece in a minute, but the elation that you saw in him with what he went through through the entire year and the celebration on that stage, it just seemed like he could sort of let it all out. Yeah. Did you feel that way? Oh, I think he had a tough year, personally. Uh, you know, I think some of these things weigh on him. More than he had let on, right? And, uh, you know, I think it was the, it's the perfect time for teammates to pick a guy up, you know. And um, the faith that his teammates showed in him, uh, he reciprocated by his play on the field, too. So it's pretty impressive to watch. And at the rally, I believe, when you guys got back to Winnipeg, the Grey Cup broke up too. So do we know, is it in perfect one shape? Yeah. One screw, it's easy fix. Just, I think right away it just gets handled. Um, you know, like the Grey Cup doesn't come out of the box and get, get stretched in a warm-up in, right? It gets, in, it gets right on the field and it's, it's going full tilt, short yardage, head banging, right? So I think if it had time to uh, stretch its legs a little bit and, and get acclimated to its new surroundings, uh, it, would, it would do a little better. But like I said, it comes comes out of the box and hits the ground running into a short-yardage wall. So. <laughs> yeah, and it's going through a lot of you know excessive celebration, right? Guys are pumped to hoist the thing. Yep, yep, that happens. Was it any different to hoist it as a head coach? Did it feel any different? Was it heavier now because you're a little bit older or anything like that? I don't even think I did. You know, I don't think I even, the term hoist conjures up a picture of when I was a player, but I don't, don't remember doing anything like that as a coach. Just wanted really to leave it to the players? Yeah, it's, it's theirs. They put a lot of effort into it on the field. They lay a lot on the line every day, so I enjoy it. Well, Mike, thanks for taking some time with us, and we'll see uh, how long your beard is at next time we meet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thanks. We just had Michael Shea, the head coach. Now we have Kyle Walters, the general manager of the Grey Cup champion Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Could you ever have envisioned that? Well, yeah, of course. I mean, we, we envision it before the start of every season, and, you know, it sure has a nice ring to it, though. That's for sure that, that it's come to fruition, but, you know, we just trust the process throughout the years and you know the first couple of years were, were rough and we kind of gutted the roster and Wade stuck with us and believed in what we were doing long term and you know we got a little bit closer and, and a little bit closer each year and it was kind of nice to finally have things you know come into place for us and win the Grey Cup. How crucial was that continuity that you guys were able to build it the way you wanted? Well, I think huge. You, you know, I think with Mike and I being on the same page, and um, he sees things his way, I see things my way. We kind of come together with a with a kind of a mutual vision of of the roster and uh, how things, you know, the type of players that he wants, 
uh, you know, when, when it's my turn to step in and make a decision, when we have group think tanks and, and sort of make a general consensus with, said we're, we're just getting to know each other better in the way we operate day to day. And one of those group think tank ideas was Zach Laros at the trade deadline. Did you guys kind of have a meeting to formulate who you were going to maybe target? Yeah, that, that, that was an interesting one because we had, you know, once we found out the severity of Maddie's injury, you know, we had a we had the offensive staff and, and, and Ted, Danny, Ryan were on the phone and, and and Mike was in there and, you know, we went through what, what do we think? I mean, what's our plans? And, you know, in our perfect world, who would we target? And, you know, it was the, the only... Unanimous name that came out of those meetings was uh, was Zach, you know, but he was not available. You know, he was not available, and we, you know, we tried to, to push the issue, but you know, we, we decided, well, if we can't get him, we're not just going to do something for the sake of doing something. We'll stand, you know, we'll stand pat and, and see what happens. And um, you know, it just so happened that, that with what happened in Toronto, Zach did become available, and it was, you know, it was it was a crunch time decision and that's where you know we were able to get it done last minute and you know that obviously worked out for us how close was it as i've said this before it, it was literally i have i was i had ryan jansen from the cfl office on on my on my cell phone while i'm with, with toronto on the on the landline saying can we is this verifiable can we please do this and he's saying you need to send something right now email both parties so it was you know if it was if it was five seconds extra, it would have been not allowed by the league. That's that's how close it was. Were your hands shaking sending that email? Yes, like like the nervous energy of panicking to get something done under those circumstances in a quick or you know in, in such a quick window was was uh, as stressful a a couple of minutes that I recall in this profession. Is that the most that you've had since you've been the GM? I believe so. Yes, yeah. like as I said that. Generally, things are done a little bit more spread out. Your your decision making process sometimes on a draft, you know, you get that same type of adrenaline on draft day, whether you're making a trade or you're debating for a final pick or something falls your way or you make a move. So it was the only thing that would be comparable was was to something on a you know on a draft day from a time standpoint of the the, the tight windows. It's all right. So how did Claro's coming in? improve the team, for lack of a better term. I, it certainly was a veteran presence, and, and I had never been around him, but you know, an outstanding young man and a leader and, and very talented. I mean, you could see just the way he threw the ball and carried himself that, you know, when he when he was in that huddle, there was just a calming presence about him and somebody who's won games in this league and played at, a, at an MLP caliber at times in his career, and that really uh, injected some confidence into that entire offensive side of the ball and and to the whole team so it was a you know it was as much a kind of a, a boost mentally for our, for our players to have a veteran guy in there it seemed like from afar that there was a different energy or something when he was starting and really kind of went on that run was that something that you could sense yeah as I said it was just a it was just a you know we had you know we had kind of struggled down the stretch a little bit we were we were we'd lost some games in the back half of the year and um, you know just just something to provide a bit of a, a bit of a, a jolt of energy or a change, you know, can, can do wonders for a, a team in any sport. Um, and, and, and as I said, luck, it, it was it was big in that last regular season game where Zach was able to lead us down against Calgary uh, and get a win on the board. And, and it didn't really affect the standings at the time, but to have to have us kind of struggle down the latter half of the year and to win such a, a 
against a quality opponent uh, was was big, and we were able to get into that bye week and get another you know a week of rest and, uh, and, and and get him another week of you know in the playbook. And you know you saw you saw you know him and Strebler in the Calgary game and, and, and in, the, in, in the Grey Cup, and then we relied a little bit more on just Zach in the SAS game. But we uh, you know we had a nice one-two punch down that down the playoff run. And you win the Grey Cup with Caleros. And obviously, if you re-sign him, there's that first-round pick tied to him. Mm -hmm. Have you had any discussions with him? Do you want to bring Zach back? Like, if you guys had that sort of group think tank of what are our priorities at that position? Yeah, I mean, that that's one. That position, we need, you know, I've said this to, to a few times now. It's we got to get our offensive staff in place before we make a before we make a, a firm decision on the quarterback position. We, we want input from the entire offensive staff. Um, you know, we've got a pretty good idea of what we want to do before. And I've spoke to all the agents about here's what's going on, and, and you know, there's really no sense of urgency until the new year, until we get our coaching staff in place, and um, you know. And once once you get rolling on a contract, talk can get going pretty quickly. You're going to know whether you're you're close or not. So, from a time standpoint, I don't think there's a real sense of urgency at this point. Uh, it's more important for our organization that everybody's on board with that position and the direction that we're going at the quarterback spot. Chris Trevler would be another one of those pending free agents, but he's getting some NFL interest. What kinds of issues, if you can, did he play through at the end of the season? Well, yeah, he had that. You know, obviously. He, well documented his foot injury. I don't want to get into the specifics of it, but he, you know, his his NFL workouts just had to be delayed a little bit till he got a complete bill of health. And it, it's as much as wear and tear. Everybody saw the way that that guy played football and, and how hard he ran. And, and you know, he would just by the end of it, his body was just pretty beat up and just needed some time off to recover, which just kind of backed up, you know, his ability to have NFL workouts. So he'll get going on those shortly, and then you know we'll be able to hopefully have some clarification on his NFL interest by the 1st of February, like yeah. everybody else. And you've had a number of guys already sign NFL contracts. You might kind of get that feeling. Do you foresee Strebler getting that kind of opportunity? Hard to say. Hard to say until you see the, you see the workouts, you know, until how they do. So who knows? Hard to predict. And then what about for those guys that have already signed deals? Like, did you think that many guys you'd be losing down there? No, no, based on based on last year, certainly not. We um, we knew Jonathan would have a good shot just because you know with his injury during the NFL um, combines and draft that that we were quite certain teams would at least come back and kick the tires on him after being healthy uh, and missing out on his draft year. Um, and, and who knows? I mean, Marcus Marcus and Winston had great years and, and they obviously performed very well at their workouts. I'm extremely happy for them and. You said you just never know. Hard to predict that sort of stuff. So how do you deal with all this roster turnover? You win a great cup. There's going to be a lot of players that want to raise naturally because of that. They were part of a championship team. You have guys going to the NFL, a bunch of them already. And you got to put a team together that's got to be competitive in the West. Yeah, it's the same same as always. You start you know, start with your quarterback position and then get your Canadians and, and your scouting. And, and it's no different than any, than any other year. I think every, every team goes through losses in free agency and, and you're seeing a lot of guys sign in the NFL which is you know which is you know good for good for our league in the sense of showing the quality of players that we have and, and it helps with the recruiting of young guys from the states that some you know some higher high quality talent will, will, will need to be recruited and, and developed so um, you know it's the same as always you, you know, we'll, 
we'll try to re try to focus on re-signing our core group of guys as a top priority that we think we can get under contract, and then you know uh, rely on your American scouting and and you know we'll we'll as we've done in the last couple of years you know you dabble into free agency to find you know one or two pieces versus you know in earlier years where we're you know gutting our roster and. and turning everything over in free agency world you know I, I anticipate this year being more like the others where we try to try to focus on our group of free agents to keep our guys intact and then try to augment the roster you know with a free agent signing here or there yeah, one of probably the biggest ones on the list would be Willie Jefferson do you foresee him having any more NFL interest or is he a guy that maybe you've talked to contract with no, we were going to let Willie exhaust all NFL opportunities, and, and there's another one that I'll reach out to Willie and, and you know, see where his mind's at. And as I said, I've, I, we had some cap space at the end of December. We, we were able to get uh, we were able to get four guys signed: Wallatarski and, and Hardwick, and then Patty Newfeld on the offensive side, and Mercy Masson on the defensive side. So that that kind of ate not kind of that ate up our remaining cap space. Uh, we let the agents know we're going to lay quiet for a little bit. We'll enjoy the holidays, and then we'll come back this week, and, and they'll start dialing in on on the hierarchy of you know of free agents that we that we want to get signed in house, and at least get an idea of where we stand with them. Because you know you get a you get a pretty clear picture of what the dollar value you believe and what they believe, whether you think something can get worked out or not, and, and go from there. Going into that free agent period, new this year is going to be the negotiating window, for lack of a better term. And in talking with some of the other GMs, they said if you put an offer down on a player, you're going to be held at offer, so you can't necessarily drive the market up. Is that the way that you understand it to be? Yeah, there's. it'll be interesting how that plays. And that, that's part of, these, part of these meetings are to get more clarification on, on all of this stuff. The CBA goes through right at, before training camp starts. Everybody's focused on 2019, just getting through the season. You know, we have brief discussions at the Grey Cup, you know, where you know, I'm certainly not as involved in those discussions during that week. And you just touch on it and you kind of have some questions. So the benefit of what we're doing here is to get the coaches, the general managers, We'll be in there tonight, and we'll go over all of this stuff to completely understand how does this play out, and why does it play out, and you know what what's the benefits, pros, and cons of putting an offer in, and who knows? You know, we'll see how it'll be interesting how how it plays out if anybody actually uses this window. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It'll be interesting to see. So ideally, at the end of the meetings, all the general managers and coaches and personnel types are hoping to have a clear idea of how that's going to work so you can formulate a game plan. 100%, and that's the same with this nationalized American terminology on your roster, some of the global drafting. Like There's, there's, there's a few points, more so this year than any other year, that, that people, you know, my colleagues and I are kind of scratching our heads looking for a little bit more clarity from so we can interpret things the same way and it's good that the coaches are here so it'll be that that will be the primary focus by the time we leave these meetings is to make sure all these changes we all understand them clearly and, and can operate moving forward with a with a clear understanding of, of the rules you've always been heavily involved in the Canadian draft and doing a lot of scouting in that area can you sort of give us an overarching theme of the class that we're about to see? Because a lot of people would say there's a lot of NCAA talent in it. Yeah, more you know high-end NCAA talent this year. Um, solid. I mean, my, my 
initially good old line group. There's some, there's some good CIS old linemen out there this year. Um, what, what I think is better this year than we haven't seen in a couple of years is your linebackers. You know, younger guys that can come in and have an impact on special teams. I think there's a good group of linebackers and DBs of that quality more so than other years. Um, as I said, I think teams are, you know, you'll be able to get some good young alignment again. Uh, but the biggest difference this year in early, early assessment is the number of higher end linebacker talent coming out, I think, is higher this year more so than I've seen in the last couple of years. And there's been a lot of talk about guys like. Chase Claypool, Neville Gallimore, they're probably going to be mid-round, if not higher, yeah, NFL draft picks. But a lot of people thought about that about Jonathan Kongbo. Obviously, the ACL injury was different. So how do you look at guys like that? Yeah, and, and you know, that's, that's you have somewhere on your board, you know, the, the value. So, if, you know, depending on where you cut that off of, all right, if it's round, whatever round you think it is, or if it's whatever player ranking on your big board is every team will look at it differently and say well maybe taking a long shot on one of the players you referenced that will be in the NFL that's your point and some teams might make it in the second round because they just view players ahead of that some teams might view it well no we we think five players we just can't afford to take a futures because we we've want this player ahead of them so it's all it's all separate and organizationally of where you rank these players and you know where where do they fit in and maybe teams with a few more draft picks you know I think Hamilton's got a bunch a bunch this year that may be able to take a flyer on a, a future you see that a little bit um, we were able to do that with Jeff Gray a couple years ago so you know all those sort of things will play into those decisions good drafting. And Canadians, in terms of the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, are in those sort of three main positions. A lot of people talk about the Canadian Mafia, as you guys are sort of affectionately known around the league. Does that give you guys some sense of pride that, you know, in the CFL, even though it is a Canadian football league, a lot of other franchises have Americans in those key positions. You guys are all Canadian and you just want to break up. Yeah, there's a sense of pride, and this has been brought up before. We all, we all view it the same way that we are. We're proud Canadians. We love the CFL. Um, we all played CIS at the time sports. Um, we all played in the CFL, and, and you know we love it. And you know it's you can see the sense of pride when I you know I'm you know reaching out to all the Canadian university coaches, talking about their season, talking about their draft picks, and, and not only a, there's a sense of pride for those guys for what we've done as well because I've you know we, we played at that level, I coached at that level, you know, and so I think Canadian football there's a sense of pride having a group of Canadians just win the Grey Cup in Winnipeg, not just not just us. And let's go back a little bit, even to your passion. You mentioned that you were the head coach at the University of Guelph, for people that don't know. At that time, could you have pictured yourself being where you are now, you know, a longtime general manager in the league, maybe one of the longest serving, if I'm not mistaken, and coming off a Grey Cup title, but you came from the CIS ranks where you were a head coach and maybe that was sort of the end goal that you had in mind at that time. No, it's, you know, no. The, the simple answer there is no. There's no way when I, I, I remember specifically walking, I had finished playing for the Ticats, I had my teaching degree and I went around to all the, uh, all the universities in Southern Ontario and said, if you can get me a job on your teaching, on your school board, I'll come and help coach your football team. And it just so happens Guelph had a, had a full-time defensive coordinator spot open, so I jumped. I jumped at that opportunity, and you know, you just 
you don't know. You, you just work hard and, and see what happens. And I became the head coach at Guelph, and I did say, uh, you know, once I became the assistant general manager in, in, in Winnipeg, where you're doing a bunch of different stuff, you know, the coaches at the university level in Canada are well trained because they, they do have to handle so much from a fundraising standpoint, a coaching standpoint, you know, equipment manager at times, doing laundry. Like it's a, it's a good. I, I, I had learned invaluable lessons being a head coach at Guelph just from the, you know, you have to do so much that, that you become well rounded in your profession. Are there any coaches out there right now at that level that you see that could make the the jump like? You obviously hired Mike, and he's set in there. But you have an idea of the skill set needed to yeah, be in that you role. Know, I think a lot of them, for, for because you know the successful ones at that level can be successful anywhere. They just need an opportunity. And and you saw Mickey Donovan's, you know, carving carving it out uh, over in Montreal now. And you know, I, I think a lot of the young guys, if they can get a chance, that. that they're good coaches at the Canadian University level. They just need an opportunity to, to grow. And, 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 you know, Paul Lapolis was the one who gave me a chance and hired me as a special teams coach and, and, and you know, gave me a shot. It's worked out well for me, and it's just a matter of some of the guys that, from, from a quality of coaching standpoint, of course, they're, they're good enough. You know, you've seen Danny Machocha win a Grey Cup. You know, now he's coaching at that level. Glenn Constantine is a good football coach. Greg Marshall's been a head coach in the mm-hmm. CFL. Like, there's a lot of guys. That, that have that have had success at our level, and which leads you to believe there's a lot more that could. Does the newly instituted coaching cap, in terms of just the sheer number, maybe limit some of those opportunities for guys in the CFL? Yeah, I guess you could look at it. Yes, I would say, you know, from a quality, it could help the younger guys who maybe would come in and, and work at maybe an intern level. But, but you're right, from a, you know. These guys are making decent money at the youth sport at the youth sport level now. That you know, for you to hire them away, they're they're going to have to be in a, a legitimate position versus a you know a, an extra position to your point. So it could you know just with the numbers of coaches on your staff for sure, um, there's just not that opportunity to maybe take a chance on somebody without a CFL background. Mm-hmm. Overall, for you, obviously, we know hiring staff is next, and then free agency. So, do you have like a big board in your office with all the guys pegged up there, and kind of who you prioritizing that you want to come back in free agency? Yeah, I mean, it's more you know we've got our Excel spreadsheet, we've got you know we've got our we've got our list of guys under contract, we've got our list of guys, and you know for the way it works for me is I've sort of a week one week one roster next year with salaries like that so it's from from my end it's more of a salary cap standpoint that you put your projected week one roster with your practice roster and your injured list and then you just start plugging in numbers um, start going away the cap and if you want to add this guy then something's got to go so it's as much uh, from my end it's it's as much a hierarchy of players that that we want back because you know the coaches we want all the best players back it's quite simple but when you start punching in the numbers associated with these players then it's that it's not possible to bring them all back and that's where you need to make some tough decisions on, on, on who comes back and who you can afford and how it all works if you can give a sort of a close notes version in terms of the salary cap how much management of is there in season because I think a lot of people out there think well you sign a guy in free agency and you just slot in that salary mm-hmm. but what's it like from that standpoint and then also week to week so I work at it in two ways so so my process now is as I said I've got a depth chart I've got a week one depth chart this depth chart has salaries associated with it so you try to 
factor all that in as you start, you know, if you want to sign this guy, then this guy can't go. So it's, you know, that's the process now that we work with. And then in season, it is a week-to-week. -week. It's a week-to-week -week payroll. You, you start with your, your, your 5.3, you take off all the signing bonus money that's out the door, you take off all the report and pass money that's out the door, you just start spent money, spent money, you take off all the projected practice roster money, and what you're left with is a pool of money that's left that you need to spread out over 18 weeks. So you know, what, I, what I worry about is with payroll, what's our pay this week? What's our pay this week? And then you lock that off. And it's if our pay stays like this for the rest of the year, then we're going to be okay. So there is some management week to week in regards to your injured list or this or this that we just can't afford to be paying more than two or three guys in the injured list this week so it's you know it's it allows you to plan your week-to-week -week pay is what uh, is kind of the twofold if that makes sense yeah when you get to the end of the year you're thinking about the end of the year and you reference you sign four guys yes. with that leftover cap money do you want to have money left over at the I, end of the year in your perfect world yes because you know the the hundred thousand we were able to just spend on signing bonus money for those players now they're their salaries are $100,000 less on this year's cap. So you're kind of getting a, you know, for simple math, if player A was, his contract's $100,000, and we gave him 25000 to sign in December, his 2020 cap is only 75000 So it's, you know, it's a, it's a real nice way to start the 2020 season when we can get those four guys back with a 2020 cap hit that's less than what their contract value is. So then how much goes into future plans? So let's say you sign guys to you know multiple year contracts, two or three. I don't see as much these days with the ones being in. Yeah. But are you looking yeah. at the projection yeah. of your salary cap two, three years down the line? No. As I said in, in you know in, in our sport unfortunately for the players where it's you know there's constant turnover, no guaranteed contracts that you know end with the the one majority one years. It's almost and this is an evolution from where I've started. It's it's almost a year to year, and you can you can you've seen it in our league. You can turn over half your damn roster in one year through free agency, and, and if that's the route you want to go, you can do it. So um, you know, it's you're seeing a lot more planning one one year team, one year team at a time. It seems. Well, it seems like I don't know if you have planned this little mustache that you got going, but I know Michael Shea planned his beard. He's been growing it since training camp. So how long have you been growing that? What do you call it? A little duster you got going? Well, I had an 80s themed birthday party I went to. So I, I've been growing it since. It's only been a couple weeks. Unlike your little thing I see there, this is, this is a man's mustache. Right? It really is. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Kyle. All right, anytime.